0: growth is is an option actually it's no longer a requirement and it's been really interesting to think about how we would shift our strategies away from how do we increase the top line revenue to how do we maintain it or grow it maybe slightly less but how do we get more people excited about this so that long-term longevity wise we're going to be in a better position uh, throughout you know some dips in the market or as new competitors come on board
1: And we are back for Series 3 of Transformation Stories from the award-winning Belltech Café. This series, we're talking innovation, commerce, emotive marketing, and career changes. We'll also dip into trends in fintech, digital health, retail, mobility, manufacturing, and speak to CEOs, CDOs, SMEs, and lots of other acronyms too. As always, you can expect gloriously unscripted discussions that shed an open and transparent light on the ebb and flow of our digital world. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. We exist in an age of acceleration, a time where success is often measured on the scale of our growth, how quickly we capture market share, and indeed what percentage of that market we can command. With this constant ambition to have more, to create more, to be more, we can find ourselves embroiled in the race to the top. And yet there is another force that is gaining a stronger voice, conscious consumerism, Protecting our planet and recognising the impact that we are making with the decisions that we make. How can brands today make an impact in this dichotomy? How can they grow their business, achieve the successes that they set out to reach in those early conception conversations, whilst also embedding genuine purpose in their operations? And how can success be measured less by growth and profits and more on the impact that we make? In this conversation, I'm joined by Mark Mallet, SVP of Connected Experiences and Emerging Tech at Beltec, and Cyrus Schenk, CEO of Renowned Skis, to find out how companies can continue to innovate while still caring for their brand. So Mark and Cyrus, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's
1: begin with some introductions then to both of you so everyone can hear more about you. Mark, maybe let's start with you.
2: Sure. Uh, Mark Mallet. So as noted, I'm SVP of Connected Experiences and Emerging Technology here at Valtech. Uh, My background originally is in technology, um, but always kind of at the intersection of uh, creative and design and tech, Um, but also kind of became known as the guy who just likes to get shit done uh, throughout my career. So I've spent time both in the agency world, but also uh, client side or brand side, if you will. Uh, and excited to be here with Cyrus today.
1: Awesome. Welcome. Thank you for being here. And Cyrus, let's have an intro to you too.
0: Yeah. So my name is Cyrus Schenk, and I'm the founder and owner of Renown Skis. And my history is very varied. Uh, I studied aeronautical engineering for a couple of years. Uh, About halfway through that process, I went and worked for General Electric, came back to school, ended up dropping out, and that's when I started Renown which is a ski company that's built on a unique technology. And a couple of years after that, I started a flooring business that uses the same technology inside uh, basketball floors and volleyball courts and stuff. And, um, that's what I'm working on now. Renown is a high end, high tech ski brand that the technology we use that kind of empowers us to, to accomplish things that most brands and most skis just can't do. And it's been a fun, process developing this into other avenues, you know, not only the flooring, but there's other other things we've been working on. And applications for this technology.
1: Amazing. And lots and lots and lots for us to talk about about during the course of this podcast. So thank you so much for being here, both of you. Right, Cyrus, let's go straight back to you and let's set the scene a little here with the renowned brand. You've given us a little bit of an introduction there, but let's talk about more specifically your experiences of starting and developing that business. And because I've been doing a bit of research and in your own words, you have said building skis is a dirty business, but... Now you're the first ski company in the world to offset all emissions related to your business. So tell us more about your experience of building the brand and those considerations that continue to underpin your decision making process.
0: Yeah, so the brand building process, I think for me, may have been a little bit unique for somebody uh, starting off uh, in the product space in the sense that I was a a nerd engineer who built this ski that was on paper, uh, mathematically superior and my branding and marketing knowledge was exactly zero. I had no idea what you know, marketing and branding really was. And I just thought that having a ski that was the best thing out there would sell itself. Uh, turns out we live in a, a world where marketing <laughs> does matter. And so I had to really learn from the ground up in terms of you know, not only do we have to have a, a solid product, but uh, the branding side of it, the, the graphic design, the website, how people interact with this product is, is super, super important. And so the, you know, the first step for us obviously was identifying our target market. We, the product is expensive, right? So even within the ski world, we had to decide and not just figure out, but I think it was a decision process uh, because you can always build a brand around um, where things are. So we decided who we were going to go after, after understanding the marketplace. And then we actually tweaked that over the years. So example, for example when we first started, we did go after the hard nerds, the engineers, the people who can look at the data of this technology and be like, wow, this is incredible. I want this on my feet when I'm out skiing. And as we've evolved over the past 10 or so years to shifting as our market and our target has shifted to a more broader spectrum. So more based in design and aesthetics, I think like an Apple or Mercedes or LVMH kind of thing where the individuals who are purchasing our skis are less concerned about the technology and more concerned about the color. Uh, and so kind of like a Nike in a sense, you might buy Air Jordan in black with the black swoosh. You can also get black with the red swoosh. And we've learned that as we've grown speaking only to the original crowd that we, we uh, opened up with is a, uh, it needed to change and develop and evolve as we also grew. So that's been a really fun process going from having no branding experience whatsoever to understand the importance of it. And then from there, to actually tweaking that brand to, to, to fit the, the market that we were going after, you know, since it has been, it has been a decade, it's been a long time and our our growth and our sales have has certainly changed because of that. And the challenges with that have, have also come up with it. So I think it's super important to, to do things with authenticity. And that includes the root basis of a brand being rooted in our case, a technology that's actually real and not, you know, what we consider in the ski industry, like, you know, marketing technologies and stuff like that. So when we launched the the carbon zero initiative, we just called it out. Like you said, you know, we said building skis is dirty business. Um, and it is, and people loved the fact that we actually called out the honest truth behind it. because. There's not, people aren't dumb, right? People understand that a lot of the products that we use aren't the best things for the environment. And back to authenticity, just saying what it is, instead of trying to sugarcoat it or like weave around it, we just came out and said what it is. And literally within months, there was three or four companies who followed suit uh, with, with carbon zero, which is really, really interesting.
1: That is super interesting, but you always imagine the companies that follow suit after they see. market shift or they see an audience being attracted to that messaging and attracted to that that idea of everyone again conscious consumerism like i was talking about earlier suddenly when the brands start talking about that that's where the audience goes you it sounds like Mm -hmm. it was really part of your dna that genuine care for the planet was something that was built from the brand from the bottom up whereas for some of these other companies it might be perhaps seen more gimmicky or as, as an afterthought have you seen that at all
0: yeah i think it goes back to what i was saying initially which is you know we decided and the keyword here is decided which like who to go after because the market's broad and you can you can go anywhere you want kind of thing and so having the deciding and having the um confidence to just choose something and go after that and then stick with it so you know, in our case, sticking with, you know, going after the super nerds initially and then expanding beyond that. But with a brand perspective, like sticking to authenticity as we've grown has been super, you know, super important. And that's something we don't have to do, right? We don't have to like pay money to offset the cost of our skis. We don't have to, uh, you know, choose where we ma- manufacture skis uh, and that it might be in a better place or a worse place or something. We can, we can just kind of go wherever it's cheapest or something like that. And the... I think it's too often that people just let themselves get pushed around, and I shouldn't say pushed around. I think it's too often that people don't even realize that they have an option that they can put their foot down and actually decide to push off your left foot and go right instead of just letting uh, the brand of the company or the project go one direction. And it's I think overall to say it's okay to hold on to something that you that you personally believe in. I think, and we can I'm sure get into AI and all that stuff, but. One thing that I truly love is that humans still are the, the the centering of all of everything, and the direction is based on at the end of the day an individual's decision to go in one way or the other. And I love that. I think that's really really important. I think we need to cherish and and hold that up uh, as a important element of business as a whole is as, as an individuals' decision to do something or you know, in some cases not to do something.
2: I think the the ski industry is is almost an extreme version of, I think, a lot of this, right? Because it's not just literally the manufacturing yeah. of the skis, but it's running the lifts. It's, it's all of the things that kind of go into the sport. And I think I, I, at the same time, though, I think the industry is, outdoor sports in general, are, are, are really realizing this because literally the sport goes away. Uh, you know, if climate change keeps going in the direction that it's going in, like the sport goes away. And I think there is aspects of this on one hand, where the ski industry is realizing that and they're investing more money in things like mountain biking and other outdoor sports that kind of leverage the, you know, infrastructure that they have. But at the same time, I also think, you know, a lot of them like Cyrus and like, like a lot of the resorts are investing a lot in things like solar. Um, To kind of offset a lot of a a lot of the overall footprint. But I but I would also argue that it just happens to be the most visible industry, Uh, but probably, you know, say the cereal industry probably has an equal impact if not greater impact in certain ways but it's not as visible right like you literally see the snow going away in certain areas right you know you don't notice it as much in some of the other industries even though they probably have a greater impact negatively um you know on on kind of the world as a whole
0: Mm -hmm. yeah there's a guy um jeremy jones who brought this up and i thought it was a really good way of putting this is you know, at the end of the day, the best thing to do is just not go skiing, right? Or not buying any new skis. But if you're going to do it, which most people are still going to go skiing is at least you're doing something that's going to get you out in nature where you are then aware of how much things are changing. You know, I was skiing the other day and just the snowpack we have this year is, at least on the East Coast, has been pretty bad. And, you know, it's it absolutely heightens Holy smokes, this is what's going on in the, in the climate right now. Imagine what's going to happen in 30, 40, 50 years. Like, will, will this mountain even hold enough snow to even have skiing as an option, as a viable option? Not let alone a profitable one. That's a different story altogether. I
1: also think there's an interesting thing here. You mentioned it earlier, Cyrus, around cost. And you're talking about profitability, but it's also an expensive sport, right? And you do have a consumer that is able to maybe pay the difference to uh, buy from a brand that has purpose or that cares about these things or that is making a difference in this area. So it is from a target target group perspective, it's quite an interesting one. And Mark, before you jumped in on that last question, I was going to ask you, you're a big fan, right? Of renowned Skis. What is it for you that has has drawn you to the brand?
2: I mean, I think I yeah. So I I I do ski uh, in Renown skis. One of my pairs. Um, you know, I think it actually was the nerdiness yeah. side. side. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the the first time Cyrus and I met, like that was kind of what sold me was him talking about the nerdiness, not the design, like the 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 aesthetic design or anything like that. Um, but frankly, it was also the experience of purchasing and the things that came with having the skis. I thought that were really interesting, like modern DTC companies now are offering things that a lot of the older brands just don't understand. Right. So obviously free shipping is something that everybody does because you have to now because of Amazon. Right. But at the same time, having things that are, uh, things like something happens to your ski and guess what? You can send it back. And like, it's kind of like a no questions asked attitude. Right. And like those little things actually go a long way when you're thinking about a consumer who's investing a lot of money. Um, you know in 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 the product, so you know, I think those are all the things that are important. The authenticity side that Cyrus was talking about was also important to me, just like I think when I got the skis, I, I got my pair of skis from you guys probably two years ago, you know, but the brand already kind of felt very authentic to Vermont, where I live to a degree. it was also like wanting to support somebody that was a smaller player in. a a location that actually really appreciated the local vibe of everything there is that aspect with these things when when you're making these decisions about products big or small where you're like well who are the people i'm actually impacting by buying this either negatively or positively and i think about that a lot of times like in the things i buy either from a really large brand or from a small brand um you know and and it's it, it is like a different angle of thinking about you know the purchasing path
0: yeah, so Michael, I was going to say this. Like, I wonder, you know, do pe- how many people can have or even know to, even to be asking those questions, and sent in, in terms of, you know, if I buy this thing, this widget, where who is it impacting down the road, and are they going to do good with that, you know, profit or with that that sale, essentially, and, and you know, chat you know, uh, capture that growth in a in a way that will benefit the next person in line, kind of thing. So, yeah, I wonder, is that a luxury or is that just something that you're just more aware of and therefore you can think about
2: that. I think a lot of consumers aren't even aware that they, they can and should be thinking about those things. Right. COVID was an interesting moment when it came to a lot of these decisions for a lot of people, because, you know, because of the issues with supply chain, a lot of times people were kind of like almost forced into Mm -hmm. learning about some of their more local stores and some of the more local brands. Right. And, and and I think that's actually really exciting and probably Mm -hmm. why a lot of, you know, what were smaller brands actually now are, 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 you know, medium to large brands that have kind of come out of it because of that, like you just didn't have, you never thought about it, right. You, 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 before you were just like, Oh, I live in New York or I live in Vermont and like, these are the brands I'm aware of because I'm messaged by them all the time because you've maybe done some research. And frankly, I think when you're buying products for outdoor sports, whether it's skis or a mountain bike or anything, it, most people actually spend a lot of time. I would say I over research, and my wife yells at me all the time, like, where she's like, You've been researching these skis for like six months. Like, when are you just going to buy them? People joke about like gearheads kind of in this regard, but it's because a lot of people are interested in the science. What's mm-hmm. exciting is actually nowadays the science actually is talking a lot about the environmental impact of a lot of these products. And right. even the mountain biking industry. Is talking about those things in regards to their supply chain, in regards to how the products are actually manufactured. Because they are noticing that direct correlation between the ability to get outside and do yeah. the thing and the people that are actually doing the research and you want to hear about that environmental story. As do part definitely, of the research.
1: There's also a massive thing. People want a quality product. We've gone through decades of crap products, things breaking, things that aren't built well. And actually, there feels like a massive shift of people just want something that is really beautifully designed, really well engineered, that lasts. And then, you know, there are brilliant brands who, if something breaks, they'll repair it for free. You know, this longevity of the customer care is so important now. I think consumers are really shifting to that.
0: So it's interesting. I think COVID gave us that reset, right, where the B2C brands could Take a, you know, had their chance to shine essentially and because of that you have that extra you know 10 20 sometimes 40 percent margin to work with that you can invest you know some of it has to go, go towards marketing because you don't have it sitting on a shelf somewhere but you can invest into that higher quality product and still make uh, a growth and still make profit from it
1: tell us more like how are you making the decisions then you know what your dna of your brand is you know what is authentic what you care about what you want to add to the world as a brand, how does that change or underpin your decision making processes?
0: So in the case of a business, I've always been drawn towards simplicity and that is highlighted and it's been very easy as a ski company because we have, we're have we so seasonal that every spring we go through all the things we did and we just ax half the things that either didn't work or were too hard or too complicated, or that just didn't you know really work out. And so I'm a huge fan of um, simpl- simplifying stuff. And, you know, product line, for example, you've, we have five products and we're actually uh, narrowed down to four next year. And I think most of the times things get overcomplicated. It's so easy to just do more 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 and more. The ski world, we have a list running, a running list of things other ski companies are doing, and it's called the do not do list. And unless we test it and prove that it, it's actually working, only then do we actually do it. And so we find that it's just better to focus on something that you actually want to do instead of just copying or seeing, I mean, informed by other people's because you don't know what's gonna what's actually working for them or why they chose to do these demo days or not or something. So testing that for yourself, I think is super important.
2: I really, really wish more brands thought like this, right? Because I would rather few products from a brand as opposed to a shitty product from a well-known brand. Just because they feel like, oh, our competitors are making that thing, so now we have to make that thing to compete in that space, but they're making an inferior version of that thing. Too many brands kind of go down that path and they market the thing and then they just have, you know, consumers who are like, why would I buy this from you? Like you made a significantly inferior thing that I wanted that I could have gone over here and and, and bought actually a higher quality one. Mm-hmm. And it really ruins the brand image. Right. And I think that yeah. is part of the challenge of the yeah. growth. I would say,
0: or, or confuses the brand image, right. Which may be yeah. worse, right. Or someone's, you know, I just saw there was a company that um, just released a new product and it, to me, it jumped categories in a way that I wonder now if I'm just confused as to are they in the baby, like the, 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 yeah, the, the baby like, category, like for young know, things for for children, or are they in like the high end adult, uh, basically single, like high powered exec kind of world? And it, it genuinely startled me. And I, yeah, whether it's confusing the customers or just simply other you know, product lines now too complicated.
1: Mark, I'm going to come to you now then. So, Obviously, going through Renown's background, how they've come to be, there are some really brilliant and strong guiding principles for them. How about the global brands now that you're working with? Many of them are trying to retrofit these kind of ideas of purpose into their business. How can they begin to do that in a genuine way? We touched on it earlier, in a genuine way that doesn't feel gimmicky.
2: Yeah, I think gimmicky is, is to me, the key word there. And you have brands that are doing things for a headline. And you have brands that actually act because it's the right thing to do. And they also have realized what's good for the business. Um, You know, I I look at there's so many obvious ones out there, but like a brand like IKEA. IKEA is not as well known in kind of the sustainability world, Um, but all of their stores are solar powered. Um, Their products are made from a significant percentage of renewables, you know, but they do it because, frankly, if probably saved them money, but also it's, it is better for the environment. There's not a ton of headlines about Ikea doing these things. They just do it right. And I yeah. think they, they spent the time to actually do the work from a business perspective to realize that there was a convergence, that it was good for the business, it was good for the world and it made the consumers happy.
0: Mark, do you think there's a time where the money equation doesn't equal out or a level, or at least you know, make it positive or even equal out? Is there a, like a scale at what point a brand
2: can will still go forward with it? I generally think it's about short-term versus long-term success. If you're a brand that's really thinking about the long-term value and purpose of the business versus just growth as the only measure of success, that's pretty exciting, right? It, one there's a challenge there. The challenge is that That can usually only be done by some of the bigger brands because, you know, a smaller brand has to invest everything back into the business directly and and see the value right away. The bigger brands can start to think a little bit about the longer term. But, you know, the longer term, being able to retain a consumer or being able to retain a guest if you're in hospitality, for example, is probably more important than that flash in the pan headline because I want to keep buying the product long term. Uh, I want mm-hmm. to keep staying at the hotel long term. Mm-hmm. So I, I really think it is a little bit about shifting the mindset of like value and purpose versus just purely like growth for that quarter, growth for that year, which takes a little bit of time and it takes the right leadership, frankly. Yeah, but someone has to decide that. It's not going to just happen.
1: Yeah, it's a complicated one for our businesses to get their heads around because of course that is what they're focused on. But that takes us really nicely into the question of what is good for a brand? Is that all about profitability and growth? Or is that about, doing good has your position on that shifted since starting renown Cyrus? do you see it differently
0: yeah I, so that's a great question i think overall and I'll, I'll say this is i think the best way to change the world and, and hold, hear me out the best way to change the world is make a ton of money uh, because if you're not making money you're not profitable you cease to exist and you cannot change the world so yes you need to make money and you need to not just you know generate revenue but be profitable so you can reinvest that and, and push your ship and maybe it turns into an aircraft carrier into different directions. So I really, I still fully truly believe that in order to make change, you need to be profitable, ideally highly profitable, um, so you can do that. The question though is, at what expense? Uh, How much do you need to grow? How much do you need to push the profitability lever or even the revenue lever, like why is it held up? Why is growth held up as the metric of success to every brand? Um, and I think I mean, the easy answer is, obviously, it's, it's simple, it's easy, it's a lot easier to measure two, two companies that are in the same space that are both $5 million each. And that's a really kind of a, it's the great leveler, you know, profitability or revenue is the great leveler of all businesses. I think it's revenue at the end, of it, it's, just, it's the easiest metric to measure, but I don't think it's the
2: best one.
1: Mark, who do you think is doing a really good job at embedding purpose at scale?
2: There's some interesting examples I would say of people that have embedded purpose at scale, but then there's interesting versions of just brands that actually have been have created a new market, right? Like I look at 7th Generation as example, when they first came out, like this whole green cleaning goods market was kind of non-existent, right? Nobody ever really thought about it, right? It was like, I oh, know, I'm going to buy that standard chemical that I always buy and spray on my kitchen countertop. They came out and were a new newer brand in the market and they created a new category and everybody had to, had to follow suit, you know, SEJ had to follow suit, Clara, everybody, right? Like all the major brands now have green products. So they actually created a whole new category, if you will, with purpose. Now it's, it's somewhat leveled the playing field, but I think what they were able to do is actually open up everybody's eyes that there is a market for this type of stuff. Um, you actually, your purpose has to go from the top all the way down through marketing, through product design, through everything. And and it has to be valid. Uh, that purpose just has to be inherent.
0: Yeah. I think the bigger the brand, the, the longer that takes, right? The more trickle, the more time for trickle down. Um, it's easy for a smaller company to make those changes relatively quick. And within a single product cycle or a single calendar year, you know, really push, push things to, to alter the direction. But as brands are bigger larger, they t- that trickle down effect takes time and out there, the buy-in between all the different levels of management has to be, has to be true. It has to be deep and, and real and it all just takes time.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's that trickle down effect is is not just in the sustainability world. It's not just in your, your brand purpose world. It's, it's, I would say it's everything that a brand does in regards to something that's new or something that's considered experimentation being in, in the consultancy agency world, it's we, we get briefs from clients sometimes where at least I personally tell the clients like, well, did you actually think through why you want to invest in this technology or why you would want to invest in this new product? Like what's success? Did you go through that process? And most of the times with our best clients, the answer is yes. And like, this is actually what success looks like. But at the same time, there is kind of that moment where it hasn't trickled through the whole org. So maybe they're willing to invest in creating that new product and they've done the business analysis around it, but they actually haven't thought how they're gonna operationalize it both up and down within the organization. And that's a challenge with whatever your purpose is, that's a challenge in also even just the way you think about generally innovation.
1: If we do remove the focus on growth as a success metric, does it ultimately risk the longevity of a business? Are we putting a timestamp on how long we're going to be around for if we're not realistic about what it means to be profitable and, and grow?
0: What, yeah. So one question I have is like, you know, why is growth a metric of success and really understanding that element? And I was thinking a lot about this and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Mark, but I kind of came down to like the reason why, like why we push growth is because it's safe. Is if we're big, we think that if we're bigger, we have a bigger war chest, we have a bigger savings account, and we can take on more hits and still survive. And I think that we are all always taught that like that is the only way to to survive is like get big, get you know have extra uh, capacity, have extra funding, have extra savings to get through the hard times, and. I wonder if that's just the wrong, or it's one of the metrics, and because we want to have like durability is something that I kind of kept coming back to where growth is durable, as we think we're building durability, we're building you know, some armor for future battles. And I wonder though, is that we forget back to the whole product conversation, is like we forget that. By actually investing a little bit of that, you know, profit or that growth into a better product, or a little bit, you know, growth into customer service or customer experience or something. If you're actually, you know, taking that that bucket that was profit, and you're saying, hey, I could put this in bank, and that's like that's my that's my armor, that's the the savings, that's the the, the safety net that I've built myself, and I've I've been able to make this because I'm bigger, I've grown. Instead of just like seeing that as a kind of a two dimensional thing let's break it out into to other things like, you know, bring it into product a little bit, break in customer service, you know, customer experience, all that jazz. And those are elements that alone can actually be a bit of a, a hedge against an issue in the future. So just like a savings account can be a hedge against, uh, you know, dipping in the economy. So can an incredible brand or an incredible product. Like I think of, uh, you know, some of the products that I've used in my life and these are things that uh, I, have paid more for and will continue to pay more for even in, in downturns because during a downturn i'm more apt to choose specifically where i'm spending in those dollars and i'm going to choose to be a com- go with a company that that gave a great product even in the, the 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 fancy the the times of of plenty so i just yeah i do wonder if there's a way to kind of split that out and if the growth really is just like doing is hiding our need for comfort. It's like a Maslow's, actually a Maslow's issue, right? Where we want safety. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I'm really interested in your take on that as well, Mark, because ultimately, you know, in the role that you're in, you have companies coming to you and asking you, how can we grow? How can we get more, be more, earn more, earn more revenue? How do you respond to them? To me,
2: there's a difference between growth and to Cyrus's point sustainable business practices and sustainable i'm not using the word sustainable in the environmental term i'm using it in the term of is your business sound do you have the right ratio of new products coming out versus number of employees and all of those good things to a degree it's part of like the challenge that a, a lot of startups go through is our end goal to be a sustainable business that we're going to continue to grow or is our exit that we just want to be acquired by, you know, somebody else out there. A lot of times it probably comes down to the founders of the company and what they believe in whether or not they whether or not their trajectory is just about growth or if their trajectory is actually about maybe a different purpose. And the different purpose might say we want to stay roughly at this size because we believe that if we grow too much Maybe our product isn't going to be as good anymore. Maybe, you know, our brand is going to get diluted out there in the market.
1: So as if there are people listening to this conversation who, who find themselves in a similar situation to you, building a brand from the ground up, it's starting to accelerate from everything that you've learned through your experiences over the last 10 years plus, what would be your key takeaway to them? What would be the one thing you'd leave them with?
0: My answer to that would be pretty straightforward and just like trust yourself. I still love the fact that the human is the center of all this um, and the importance of trusting in where you feel and you want something to go and then just sticking with that. There's so many things that would distract you, know, so many different opinions from other people and other brands or other businesses that you might try to emulate. And at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong answer. And that's what makes it so difficult. This is not a math equation. It's not There's not a single you know, right solution to this and trusting in your initial gut is so important and I think if more people did that even from a management perspective it's like no I really think that we needed you know this this web page needs to be purple is uh, I think more people would uh, succeed if they were to you know have more confidence in their intellect and their intuition because you can't intuitions a really hard thing to come by and I don't think you can replicate that yet and until we can trust in yourself and don't be afraid to to be a little bit out of out of the, the norm in fact, that's usually rewarded. Uh, and if not, then you'll be reminded very quickly and you can find another way to, uh, to make a name for yourself. So I think I found myself being bounced around too much when I was first starting this thing off, trying all these different things and it ultimately came down to it was like, no, 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 we're doing four skis. This is silly. Why we don't need to try to find a ski that's going to fit every single one of these product fits. And in our case, it's kind of, uh, funny because the, the product market segments are literal like ski widths apart. And so you can build most people build their product lineup based off of the actual dimensions of the, of the ski. And one has to fit into each of these buckets. And it's like a literal bucket that this ski will fit into or won't. And, uh, so when we are simplifying things, we're literally leaving gaps like purposely leaving gaps for sales to fall through and that we, we can't capture them. We won't sell something because of that. And it's been a really interesting experiment and it's actually benefited us massively, uh, because it allows us to focus on the elements, the core elements of the business that actually excite us the most and uh, ironically generate the most profits and revenue.
1: Yeah. I love that idea. It's such good advice. And it sort of reminds you of going back a hundred years ago to when people were using their intuition and using their gut decisions to build some of the brands that are still absolutely nailing it today. Sometimes you can get overwhelmed with data, right? Then Mark, what would be your, uh, your key takeaway to companies who are maybe a bit bigger who are listening to this?
2: Yeah. So I, I totally agree on like, you know, Your point on like analysis paralysis, like that's real. And I think it's especially real for some of the big brands. Trusting yourself and trusting what your brand can and what your brand cannot and should not do is actually a really big deal. What's right for one brand might not be right for another brand. And I don't think people inside some larger organizations all the time just take a minute to think about that. Of like, actually, my boss told me to go do a thing with augmented reality. I'm going to go do that thing. As opposed to maybe saying to your boss, why is augmented reality relevant to my brand, uh, you know, to our brand and and actually having those those conversations? I, I also think that that trust that we're talking about and belief in what your brand should be doing also has to think through a little bit of a lens of that that human to human connection. How are experiences, how are messaging around our sustainability goals, actually even helping people feel more Human and and more connected to other humans, you know, and how technology may be connecting people to each other as opposed to it just being like I'm sitting here looking at a screen all day. To Cyrus's point about like that smile with somebody wearing a T-shirt actually does have a business impact because guess what, that person now becomes an advocate of your brand, and that's also where I think like that trust, trusting in your brand, uh, comes into play. Is like you're also trusting the consumer you know one to be that advocate um Mm -hmm. two you fuck up they're gonna talk about it and you know that's also just kind of that reality is the trust is a two-way street um you know and you have to be you have to be brave enough to understand that
0: yeah and and the trust is also there if you have built the trust high enough then if you when when you mess up not if when you mess up they'll actually be the first ones to defend you which is also extremely like how much how much is that worth that's incredible right
1: Cyrus and Mark. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you both. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtec Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at Valtech.com for all the details.